from Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're talking about five generations in the workplace. Wow, well, bow wow. <laughs> Seriously. It's big. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Karina Hoyer. And we are so glad you are here, friends. Thanks for joining us because we are all about getting us some ease, meaning, and joy in the workplace. So thanks for listening. Thanks, ladies. Hey, Karina, uh, we are now in our second recording session in the new recording studio. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Your office, which is wonderful. Thank you. Please check out Karina's amazing social media posts about the progression <laughs> of our recording studios. That was really fun to do. <laughs> I don't know. You're getting so good at it. Oh, my God. It is. Thank you. It is a learning curve for me. I've, you know, I've taught myself a design program so I can like. It's amazing. Put hilarious captions <laughs> and, you know, make sure that our logo or our, our whatever that thing is called our tile you know the art our artwork i'm trying to brand i think it's our message the little lady climbing up the ladder and pulling down the curtain to the light bulb to the idea to the new thing i mean yeah i think it's our mission vision all that stuff it is absolutely and our tile and making our tile that's called and making but making these social media posts has been a journey for me so thank you yeah and thanks to everyone who is uh jumping on there and checking them out but yeah they're so good thank you so watch it though with the posts of me and the alcohol i mean i think you're exaggerating that i'm hoping you're exaggerating that I was counting the number that have Kirsten with the brown liquor. I'm like, mm, that's good feedback. Brown liquor is our <laughs> signature drink. I don't know. I... <laughs> yeah. So anyway, find us on Facebook. Find us on find Instagram. Find Karina's amazing new social media posts. Yay for her. Yay. Thank Yay you for, for you, friend. A little bit of plug. Little plug. Little plug for the social media. Hey, before we start, I just want to just talk really quickly about this amazing New York Times article by Nancy Sherman that you sent me. Which, you know, I sent it to you, and we I know I'm going to let you talk about it in just a second, but it's so fascinating to me how many times we're recording something or have just recorded something or thinking mm-hmm. about recording mm-hmm. about something and out of nowhere come more than one article about that very thing. Like out of nowhere. And this article is just yet another example of how we are on the cutting edge. In fact, <laughs> what we talk about <laughs> what we talk about is so much so frequently like in also in like pop in the news. I don't know why that is. It's so interesting. You view it as being on the cutting edge, and I view it as being in tune with the energy of the world. Oh yeah. The yeah. woo woo wee part of it. Yeah, yeah. You're like, no, we're just innovative. We're da da da. And I'm like, hmm, so funny. Different You're like, perspectives. Some exactly. Doing a song circle. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> Putting my water out under the full moon. Exactly. All that stuff. Oh, I don't know about that. You're going to tell me about that <laughs> oh, later. Yeah, water in the full moon. Really? Whole other story. Okay. Yeah. Are we going to do an episode about that? Let's do an episode about that. But let's first talk about this Nancy Sherman article. Okay. Because that's what we're really trying <laughs> to talk about. So, We did the episode on stoicism, which I am, as you know, folks, so into as far as how do you approach life in an effective way. And the one thing that I, Karina sent me this article by this professor, 
Nancy Sherman. She teaches Stoicism. She's a philosophy professor. If you're in her article is if you're reading Stoicism for life hacks, you're missing the point. And I was like, yes, that's absolutely right. Because the very beginning of that episode, we talk about wisdom and justice as being kind of the fundamental pillars, for lack of a better word, of Stoicism. Tenets, my mm-hmm. new favorite word. Tenets, nice. Um, but I was like, of course, because the whole point of Stoicism, when I look at it, that um, eudaimonia, yeah. which I think of as ease, meaning, and joy, yep. we get ease, meaning, and joy for ourselves, but it really is about working in the world and bringing ease, meaning, and joy, eudaimonia, to the community. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Aurelius was the, he was an amazing leader, maybe the, the what they say, the greatest Roman emperor of all time. And so I just wanted to, just to call that out about that Stoicism episode. So in case we weren't as intentional on that piece, mm-hmm. I mean, I just wanted to say, hey, Nancy Sherman, thanks for calling that out. So check out that article in the New York Times if you're reading Stoicism for Life Hacks, you're missing the points because it's for everybody. It's for the community. And so the point you want to call out, I just want to make sure. We're I love crystal it when you clarify my brain. Thank you so much. <laughs> I just love this about you. You do. I, I know. I can't help myself. Sometimes I listen to the podcast and I was like, Jesus, just let her go. Just let it go. Why do you have to restate everything? But I do because I want to listen. I want to make sure I get it. So the point you're trying to make is that not only did we do that episode because we want people to have hacks for their life, mm-hmm. but rather stoicism and is, and is is about community Mm -hmm. it's about purpose Mm -hmm. it's about what what am i missing meaning Meaning. Mm -hmm. and it's about the rest of the community not just you that's right certainly it provides more ease meaning and joy in your own life but it's also about creating ease meaning and joy in your community yeah that's what work in the world is right yeah when you're working in the world it's about creating something for other people not just yourself not just yourself although i'm a huge fan of creating stuff just for myself i mean for myself i am a huge fan not just but i'm a huge fan for creating stuff for myself but i think that's great and i love that when we dig into an issue then these kinds of things also pop up and do a little follow-up i love it when people like nancy listen to our podcast and then write I'll put it on our on our social media post. Watch me do it. Oh, I'll train I'll train you on that. Thanks. Um, and Nancy, thanks for listening to the show and writing that New York <laughs> Times article about the uh, episode that we recorded. <laughs> but about today, five generations walk into an office, which is unbelievable. Yeah, first time ever, due to our relatively longer lifespans and the folks staying in the workplace longer. There are five generations currently working together. I know. So we have traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, which are also known as millennials, and Gen Z. Mm -hmm. Everybody from age 94 is the top end of that traditionalist Um, age group, which I can't imagine a 94-year-old working. But But the bottom end of that, folks mm -hmm. who are 75, I I work with 75-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, Not in my office, but in my work. Yeah. Yeah. um, I know people who are in their 80s who are Mm -hmm. still working, Mm -hmm. all the way down to, you know, our teenage children Mm -hmm. now in the workforce, all of them combining together. So it is an interesting thing for Simon History. And there's a lot of narrative about these five generations and there have been books and books and books written about sort of how to deal with these five generations. But it was kind of cool before we dig into sort of differences and similarities. I loved that infographic or that article that you found from Purdue mm-hmm. that kind of 
really helped to solidify, at least for me, although I'm collect- I'm speaking <laughs> for both of us now, so I'm going to say it solidified for us, kind of what the generations were about. And I'm laughing at myself because I loved it, of course, because it's pictorial, right? <laughs> it's like pictures that tell you, you know, these little short snippets and really provide a tremendous amount of clarity. So let's walk through those things. Yeah. And this clarity that we're going to give you, we're ready. We're getting ready to lay on you right now. It, it, it also provides us like context for what folks in dif- different generations are dealing with or um, thought about or what they were shaped by. So starting with these 75 to 94 year olds, anyone who was born in. From and I'm ni- just going to say mid Mid 70s to early 80s, because I really don't know anybody in the workplace who's who's over early 80s, frankly. And they're called the traditionalists or here's what's interesting. Also, the silent generation, because as children, they were expected to be seen and not heard. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So you see that generation called both things. I kind of wish my kids were the silent generation sometimes. (laughs) Well, yes, I do. Um, So they Okay, Karina. So what shapes these Yeah, they were shaped by the Great Depression, World War II, radio and movies, according to Purdue. Okay. They're motivated by respect, recognition. They want to provide long-term value to a company. Yeah. And so think about that. There's this like Great Depression and World War II, two major events in this generation. That required a tremendous amount of resilience and fortitude. Yeah, yeah. And it's created this worldview, according to Purdue, that's like all around uh, obedience and and over individualism. Mm -hmm. And um, which makes sense. Yeah. 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 Especially given, like you said, those those couple of things. And in the workplace, they also sort of see that age equals seniority. And so there's this like a perceived hierarchy. They believe there's a, uh, more of this perceived hierarchy than others do. Incidentally, in this caveat, I have to throw this caveat in. These are gross generalities. Oh, yes. And we're going to get down to how what gross we're going to get down to those gross generalities later in the episode. Yeah. Gross generalities. Yeah, but- not not that not one per, you know we are exactly. not describing mm-hmm. an entire generation mm-hmm. in five words or less we're just trying and it's you know to provide gross generalizations <laughs> thank you for calling that out thank you and it's interesting too because just as a side note when i was looking at who has weathered the pandemic the best yeah it's these folks oh right sure great depression yes and it's like they've done this before they know how to do this and they're they can put their own their they have more experience putting their own needs aside for the for the community because of the Great Depression, in, because of the war, you know. World is war that II. just personal? Is like your personal observation of No, this I actually generation? read some stuff. Oh, interesting. I did. I was reading some stuff about who has the most resilience during the pandemic. And I don't even remember where I read it. It was probably the Washington probably the Washington Post, maybe. Anyway, very interesting. So this really comports with what I've seen about the pandemic too. Yeah. So after the traditional slash silent generation, we have the baby boomers. Yeah, yeah. The huge mm-hmm. boom. And just as an aside, let me just pop back in here. Traditionalists are a very small part of the workplace, of course, 2%. Baby boomers, 25%. Yeah, yeah. And they are not going, not you know, they're, a lot of them are retiring, but they're not all of them. Mm-hmm. And interesting, I, I've seen, you know, ba- baby boomers leaving the workforce provides a tremendous opportunity for people to take on management roles. And so I'm just that's there's a lot of holes happening because of the exit of the baby boomers from the workplace. It's happening in the law for sure. Yeah. Right. There's just a tremendous gap. Yeah. Hole 
opportunity, whatever you want to call it, by these folks leaving the workplace. Yeah, and if you think about it right now in 2021, this is a group of people who are roughly 57 to 73. So like in their late 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. you know, they're still there. They got a lot of juice left mm-hmm. in, in them. But also if they've invested well or if they've got a retirement, because a lot of them actually do have retirements, mm-hmm. um, they are moving out of the workforce and creating some opportunities. This generation was shaped by a, di- a different war, the Vietnam War. And they also walked us through civil rights movement and Watergate. So interesting. Those three things to shape a generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's interesting to me is that according to Purdue, what, even I think of people from the Vietnam era and the civil rights movement as, you know, sort of um, rallying against. Radical. Yeah. Anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. But they're motivated by company loyalty and teamwork and duty. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of an interesting thing to read. It struck me that it was like taking the traditionalists yeah. and mixing in the radicalism yeah, and coming out with some of the same characteristics, but different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're very loyal. Like, mm-hmm. like they get a, like they get jobs and stick with them. In fact, I think about my own parents who are boomers who like jumped into jobs or not jumped. I mean, that makes them seem cavalier, but like they, they got jobs. And despite being relatively unhappy in their work on the daily basis, they did. They stayed there. They stayed out mm-hmm. of loyalty and duty mm-hmm. um, where, you know, we're not seeing that from the next generations. No, For sure. And this generation, they tend to see that you have to pay your dues to be successful, yep. that you need to sacrifice for success. So I, it's interesting to see some of the elements of the previous generation now mixed up with just a little bit of a different kind of set of experiences yeah. and views. Yeah. OK. And so then we have the children of the baby boomers, mm-hmm. Gen X, mm-hmm. which are now, you know, roughly which in is their, where you and I fall. Right. Uh, 40 or, or, you know, 40s to mid 50s mm-hmm. shaped by very different kinds of events. Yeah. The AIDS epidemic, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the dot com boom, very different big events have shaped our experiences. Yeah. And I was really intrigued to read that this generation, our generation was sort of the motivated by diversity. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't quite I, I, I that hadn't struck me until I read this. Purdue article. Not that I disagree with that in any way. And in fact, most people of my generation are kind of very committed to diversity, but I hadn't realized that that was sort of new, relatively new with Gen X. Mm-hmm. And also, interestingly, this whole notion of work-life balance. Yes. And that our personal and professional interests um, are more important than the company's interest. Mm-hmm. So again, that our happiness matters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Our happiness matters. Yeah, Yeah. it's really interesting. We want to have passion, meaning joy in our work. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because when I think about the traditional worker bee, I do think about the baby boomer. I don't think about myself. Interesting. Even though I think of myself as a very hard worker. Yeah. So I'm just I was really settling into my own biases. Right. Like I was like, oh, wow, Kirsten, that's really a bias. So when you so when you see when you think of a traditional worker, you think of the I think of the baby boomers because of the age or the the, the things. No, the because qualities. of the qualities. So much more committed to work than mm-hmm, they are to mm-hmm, personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also this really like was like, wow, Kirsten, you're biased. 
you know? Yeah. So let's keep going through because that's going to play into our conversation more as we yeah. get later in the show. Yeah. I do want to say though, and I want to go back to this, this, this notion of um, your personal happiness mm-hmm. is not as important. Or, I'm sorry. Is, is as, or more important than sort of your company's mm-hmm. needs or your workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember hearing conversation like to me, that is really interesting because our parents made had to massively change their perspective or perceptions about work for us. And exactly. And I am finding that I have to massively change my perceptions about work for people I'm working with. Yes. And I just think to myself, that is the right and good thing to do. That is the right and good thing to do. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember going to college and, and I'm not trying to bash on my parents at all, but like recognizing that people of that generation were like, you go to college to get a job. Like, why are you getting this like liberal arts degree? Right. Whereas, as my why are you an English major, Kirsten? Like, I remember having a really hard time hard conversation with my dad about that. Right. Because why are you getting? You know, your education should equal a job that you're going to be loyal Mm -hmm. to. That's going to give you the sense of duty. And then our own children, millennials and uh, Gen Z, Mm -hmm. you know, are like you said, kind of riffing on that. So millennials now are like. What, 20s and 30s? Right, 20s and 30s, shaped by things like Columbine, 911, yeah. the internet. And 911, right? you mean 9-11? Did I say 911? Yeah. I'm so sorry. 911. <laughs> That's just me clarifying Thank over here. Thank you for clarifying, It's just kind of what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, shaped by the internet. And millennials still kind of remember when the internet, some millennials still kind of remember when the internet was new. But not really. They might remember a flip phone. Might. Yeah, they yeah. might. They might remember a flip phone and a digital camera that was separate from your regular phone. Mm-hmm. They might remember not having the best computers on every desk at work. But they certainly do not remember not having the Internet. Right. Uh, motivated by responsibility. Quality of their manager and having unique work experiences. Yeah. So again, focused on the individual more so. Yeah. Yeah. And really willing, I think, to change. Right? Like willing to just sort of yep. seize opportunities mm-hmm. and hop around a bit. And what I loved with it, Purdue noted, was that they bring more fun to the workplace. They're competitive. They're collaborative. And those, I thought, well, that is that is refreshing. Yeah. It's refreshing. Yeah, exactly. Which is also kind of this interesting bias because I was just about to say, yeah, that's different than the stodgy old baby boomer. Like I literally almost said See, that. This sentence. is our biases, and I think it's so good as we're as we're talking about this, Krina, that we really bring those out and daylight those. Like yeah. I keep finding them. Oh wow, Kirsten, that's a bias. That's an assumption. Yeah, in your brain. Okay, so talk about Krina because you worked with a number of what I would call millennials. Yeah, working style. How was it different? What was your experience? You know. I, I think my experience was very similar to what Purdue articulated. You know, most of the millennials in my office were motivated by responsibility. They were there because they wanted to have a workplace that was aligned with their values and and that was responsible. Um, And they really cared about who they worked for and they wanted it to be unique. The one difference I have to say that I, I remember distinctly was this difference between individual working and collaborative mm-hmm. working. And um, I had a baby boomer who did our um, finances. And I remember her being kind of consistently frustrated by pe- millennials who were in management positions who really weren't able to kind of do some of the independent thinking that she wanted them to do. 
And I had a conversation um, with a teacher of all people about this very thing. And, and we were kind of talking through and she said, you know, what's interesting, Karina, is this notion of individualism in the classroom mm-hmm. is, is really been we've been shifting away from raise your hand and tell me the answer if or tell me the answer kind of instruction or individual tests or individual whatever and more to collaborative she said now in the work in the classroom we say things like okay get your heads together for 15 seconds and come up with your best answer it's a different work style yeah and that's translating into the workplace i thought that was phenomenal and i and i actually was able to then kind of create more opportunities for collaboration with our millennials and their their eyes lit up. Mm-hmm. They should kind of shown. And this is kind of this is obviously again a gross generalization about how to make millennials happy in your office, but figuring out things like that that are keys to people's success and experience is really important, especially for this generation. In the next four years, millennials will make up seventy five percent of the global workforce, which is crazy. Right now, they're about thirty five. Right. Thirty five percent. Yeah. Just like just like just, you know, the Gen X, Gen Y slash millennials, each about a third of the workplace. But that is going to shift dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. And as they step as more of the older generation Mm -hmm. step out and they step in and then Gen Z is coming up behind them. And these you know, we don't know a lot about Gen Z because they haven't been working for that long. The, The top end of Gen Z is about 20 years old. I know. Yeah. But they are shaped, obviously, by life after 9-11 and this recession. And I'm going to say probably COVID. Oh, my gosh. The pandemic. Absolutely. Like the Great Recession in 2008. They've always had technology. It's always been part of their life in every single way. Smartphones, everything. And now they've been by the now we have the pandemic. It's going to be very interesting. You know, Purdue reports that they are motivated by diversity personalization, individuality, and creativity, which is interesting. And their communication style is like short text, instant messages, social media. That's how they communicate. Whereas, you know, the traditionalists back in the very beginning of what we're talking about, they're still writing letters. Bless their hearts because I love a letter. (laughs) Love myself a letter. They're still printing and faxing. Love it. Yeah. Um, it, it's And so we wanted to walk through all of that information because I think that it's it's because it illustrates the beautiful and and rich panoply of experiences. Yes. This huge range of experiences among the five generations working in the workplace today. Right. That are sitting in the same conference room together mm-hmm. solving problems mm-hmm. that are weighing in on you know, which health care plan makes the most sense to, you know, that, you know, is most interesting to them or what kind of workplace culture mm-hmm. we're going to have. Mm-hmm. These five generations are all having those conversations together. OK, so more on this like rich panoply of experiences. There is a wonderful chart that is going to be in the show notes from the Pew Research Institute, and it's an interactive chart where it lists all of the different five generations and what was going on during their life. Like when the traditionalists were working in their early 20s, how much of the workforce was female? Well, 4%. How much of the workforce was had veteran status? Almost 50%. Yeah. Today in the workplace, for those traditionalists, they're looking at very different makeups, like 4% or have veterans in the workplace today. And, you know, almost 50% or more than 50% in some cases are women. So I'm going to put that 
in our show notes so you can look at it. Karina, you found the population size to be interesting on that one, yeah, which just, I thought was interesting too. Yeah, just to recognize that when the traditionalists were in their sort of 20s and 30s, there were only 36 million people on the planet. And when millennials were in their 20s and 30s, there were 70 million people on the planet. So our population has doubled and our demographics have changed. And so, I, you know, again, I think about the, 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 the person who's in their 70s and what they believe to be true about the world and how they experienced the world when they were in there, when they were the same age that these millennials mm-hmm. were. And it's it's just phenomenal. It's fantastic to me to kind of think about just the, how competition changes with population, how um, how many how regulation how, yeah. changes with population. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. How many more people they there are, how competition changes, how innovation, changes. how the roads, how transportation changes, how everything changes when you double the population when, yeah. size. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And despite all of this. Right. Like despite every difference that we've articulated Mm -hmm. and all of the unique and beautiful and rich things that each generation can bring to the workplace. What was fascinating is that when you dig into the data and you really look at what people care about and how they what they want from their workplace, it's almost all the same, the same. Mm -hmm. I found that fascinating. So tell us the tell us what are the things that you that the research shows that folks want. Um, they want an organization that cares about their employees' well being. All generations agree that they want organizational leadership that's ethical. Uh, they all want a diverse organization that is inclusive of all people, and financial stability at their workplace. And it's I think of course. And it's good for us to ground ourselves in those four values that folks have, because what the data also shows is that we as humans tend to believe that others have views of us because of our age. Yep. If we are in Gen, um, if we are in Gen Z, we worry that people think that we're narcissistic or not a hard worker, yep. right? If we're a traditionalist or a baby boomer, we worry that people will think we're stodgy or stubborn or not innovative. Or can't use technology. Or can't use technology. And, you know, so it seems to, I mean, it seems to me from looking at all of the data and the research and all of these different articles that our own perceptions of what we believe others see or think about us are actually more damaging. Yes. That was also so interesting to read. Mm -hmm. They call that, was it meta bias? Meta bias. Yeah. So there was shit you think about yourself. So I just want to dip in for a second before we move on to say there is some real age bias against women in the workplace yeah yes and i'm really glad you brought this up because as in with all things Mm -hmm. biases are compounded Mm -hmm. right and so we know that if someone's going to judge you for for your age they're going to judge you more harshly because you're a woman Mm -hmm. they're going to judge you more harshly because you are a person of color Mm -hmm. they're going to right so that intersectionality that intersectionality and because this isn't a podcast you know really focusing on women i'm really glad you brought this up absolutely i do think it's been astonishing to me as a lawyer representing women 
with regard to their work, watching how difficult it is for women over the age of 50 to get another job. It's hard for men over 50 to get another job too. It yeah. just is the reality, sure. but it certainly more negatively impacts women. And so I'm just going to call this out as one of those real live things that happens because of age bias. Yeah. It's not a perception. It's a reality. So if we all basically want the same thing, but we're in, and we're kind of concerned about what other people think of us, think mm-hmm. about us based mm-hmm. on our age, how does that play out in the workplace? So, Let's hold that. How does that play out in the workplace? Let's hold that question. There are times, though, Krina, when it actually does affect the workplace. Yeah. Like, for example, there was a study um, in the Journal of Business Psychology that talked about older workers being trained by both younger and older workers in how to use Google Chat. And they found across the board, whether your trainer was, you know, younger or older, The trainer assumed that the older trainee, the older person they were trying to train, was not going to get it and did not provide them with the same level of training. And they were not as they were they were willing to accept like inferior skills as a result of the training. So there are places where our biases. Thank you, Kirsten. I brought mine to the table. Yeah, right. We both did. Um, do affect what really happens in the workplace in a negative way. So there's this one category of things, which are like the perceptions we have, and there's some reality. Yeah. And I think what I just said earlier, I want to make sure to clarify, I think you just did it, which is the biases are, are there are some mm-hmm. real biases. Yeah. And and there is some real perception of our own, what other people We're think about We're also creating it. a bunch of stuff in our We're head, as creating, always. Yeah. Right? We just yeah. create all this weird stuff. Another example Um, mentor mentee when the mentee tried to present as older and overcome what they perceived as a deficit or a lack of respectability because of their age yeah the mentor was less willing to help and assist and be engaged yeah i found that interesting i think it's about not being your authentic self yeah like you're just trying to although you know I, i don't know if this is a perceived bias or an actual bias but I had a lot, you know, being a young woman in a leadership mm-hmm. position, mm-hmm. I was constantly concerned about what that would look like. I didn't try to look older necessarily, but I remember when I started getting gray hair thinking maybe I'll be taken Not seriously. Not so bad. Yeah, maybe I'll be taken mm-hmm. seriously now. Mm-hmm. Now, when in reality, people who know me probably would say I've been taken seriously for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. But that was my own sort of internal perception, perception mm-hmm. yeah. of bias. I have a really dear friend who really struggles with this. Mm-hmm. And... I'm always like, it just makes you look more brilliant. Yes. Because you've achieved all of this by this age. You just look brilliant to yes. me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I also have a um, a young woman in, in my life who's a, a phenomenal professional who is really attuned to the way older people talk to her. Mm. You know, she, she has actually stopped working with a couple of different consultants because she says they come across as ageist. They sort of treat her like interesting, like she's not worthy. Because they bring their biases. Right. So when you bring your biases to the table, you interfere with the work to be done. Yeah. Right. 
I have to say the one bias that I, I will never forget or what um, played out recently in COVID. It was one of those big group meetings. I know I've oh, told you about this. I love this story. And the facilitator was young and it was, a, you know, it was one of those pro things where like you have the person working tech and then you have mm-hmm. somebody else who's running the meeting and the person who was working. Well, I guess they were both relatively young and there was a mix of people on the screen, but you can clearly see the ones of those of, who have a full head of gray hair. They they stood out. And the facilitator said, okay, we're going to have everybody introduce themselves. And then so-and-so, you know, introduce yourself, so-and-so. And she would call each person out. And when she came to someone with gray hair, she would say, okay, go ahead and take yourself off mute and introduce yourself. So interesting. And it was like, I clued into that like, Oh my God, she's only saying that to the, to people, the people with, with gray, gray hair. hair. Okay, to her credit, we know mute is a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> and at that meeting, there were several people, including people who don't have gray hair, who started talking without unmuting themselves. But yeah, that one was just like, oh, it's my obvious. Yeah, that one was obvious. So I think that, I mean, I, I loved doing this research because it really does show like all these different experiences that people bring to the workplace. What are they shaped by? How has it created who they are? And now we're all living in the workplace together. Guess what? We bring a tremendous amount of assumptions and bias about what others think of us, quite a bit less, but still some about how we think about other people. Right. And it just seems to me that this is a wonderful opportunity to recognize that there is this amazing diversity in the workplace. And I'm going to go, I'm going to whack. Can I wax a little bit? Please. Okay. I'm going to wax a little bit, but I remember when my kids were going to Montessori school and they would always talk about they had a they had kind of gone beyond diversity as far as race and age and ethnicity and they were into diversity from the human like oh um josh you know josh really loves to he josh loves details he really brings that to our conversation and our work aren't we glad that we have josh here right mm-hmm. and i think about this i know i'm using this kind of you know elementary school analogy but if we could in the workplace actually see people for who they are and be seen for who we are without this kind of shroud cape covering of age how wonderful would that be yeah and yeah and and if those individual traits were seen like you're saying for the we gave those qualities to the individual Mm -hmm. because of who they Mm -hmm. are not because of how old they are And I think what you're saying, I know what you're saying. You also feel about all of the other biases that we see in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't it be lovely? Don't we all want to be seen for who we are, regardless of our age and also regardless of our skin color and And our our gender, gender and our economic status Mm -hmm. and whether or not we have a disability Mm -hmm. or I mean, but with the understanding that there are experiences that shape us and bring us to where we are. And a lot of those experiences are common. Yes. Like we now share the experience, the common experience of the pandemic. Yes. How will that play out? Yes. So anyway, I just loved this research and doing this and having this conversation with you because it just made me feel like, oh my gosh, it's just this rich 
rich tableau. It's a rich tableau of people who basically want the The same same things. Yes. And they just may come at it a little bit differently. They may not have the same relationship to, Mm -hmm. to, to the tools and the information. They may have more experience or less experience with certain things. They may value different things. But at the end of the day, we're all in it for the mm-hmm. same reasons. Mm-hmm. We're all in it for those four things. And of course, ease, meaning, and joy. Exactly. Right? For ease, it all comes back to that. Meaning and joy. Exactly. That's my NPR voice. What I love that NPR that? voice. Yeah. I'm glad you did this episode with me. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So much, Kirsten. And thanks, friends, for listening. I just hope that this conversation just sheds a light on, you know, just the wonderful kind of rich stuff is out there in the workplace yeah and gives you something to good and i guess i'm talking about not just stuff but humans yeah not stuff but humans (laughs) Humans. yeah exactly yeah okay all right yeah good good we're good we're good all right friends we'll see you on the flip side thanks for listening thanks for working Karina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Karina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 